today's guest on the podcast is the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Bergner. Coach B, as known in the CrossFit world, the weightlifting world, he is a level five uh, weightlifting coach, and he has been coaching for over 50 years. I came across Coach Bergner back in 1997 when he was the head coach of my Junior Worlds weightlifting team and got to know him that way. Uh, Fast forward 20-something years, and I ran into him at the CrossFit Games with my daughter. And of course, he's been involved in CrossFit weightlifting since about 2005, and um, I had, of course, seen him online. But to see him in person was fun, and I said, well, you have to be on my podcast. And so here he is. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with the legendary coach, Mike Brown. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I am very excited about today's guest. Coach Mike Bergner is here. Hi. Hi, Meredith. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. So I we go back a long way. <laughs> you think? <laughs> It's so funny. So I started dabbling in CrossFit about two years ago, and everyone would kept talking about Coach B, Coach B, and I thought, who is this Coach B guy? And then I realized it was Coach Mike Berkner, and I was like, I know him. I know this guy. <laughs> so for those of you listening, he was my 1997 Junior World weightlifting coach, and that's how I got to know him. So that feels like 100 years ago, but it really is not that long ago. It's all in perspective, right? You know, it seems like a hundred years ago to the young people, but for uh, the geezer, it seems like an eyelash, you know, an eye bright, and that's about it. Jeez. So, what, where did this whole you call yourself a geezer? You call all your friends geezers? Where did this come from? Well, I guess about oh, geez, ten years ago, maybe. Uh, when I did retire, I have a, a buddy of mine who was a retired doctor, a nail neontologist, and he would come over to the gym and uh, we'd work out and uh, we just called ourselves the geezers. And then we started inviting people, you know, other other geezers <laughs> to come over. And uh, and so we got a I got a garage full of geezers <laughs> and my wife, my wife has a garage full of mambas calling themselves mambas, mothers against making bingo arms. And uh, <laughs> stop it. I, I have know. not heard that. Oh, that's oh yeah. Funny. Yeah. So we, I mean, we train hard and we do a lot of CrossFit stuff that is self-scaled. You know, we, uh, I'll put a workup on the board and, uh, and, you know, they can choose whatever exercises they want to do that they can do. Now, half of them can't walk, for God's sake. You know, everybody's yeah. getting knee replacements and everything else. But they work hard. And we, we have a lot of fun. And, you know, that's, that's, we, we come up with a age group. We, we have an age group T-shirt that it's a geezer shirt. And if you're 60 to 64, you're a geezer. If you're 65 to 69, you're a super geezer. <laughs> and then if you're 70 to 74, you're a super stud geezer. And that's my age group, right? <laughs> <laughs> and 
And if you're 75 plus, you're a day-to-day geezer. (laughs) Day-to-day. Right. I love it. I love it. It's so important to do what you can with what you have. I mean, I see young people and younger than me and my age who who won't work out because they can't do whatever. They can't they can only do 10 minutes of this and 15 minutes of this and I mean, how important is it to just do what you can with what you have? I think it's extremely important, you know, and it's I mean like okay, here I am 73 and I love weightlifting. Right. I, you know, I, I coached the snatch and the clean and jerk and we did all that stuff. And but I can't do that now. I mean, my shoulders are terrible and well, I can snatch a PVC pipe and do all the exercises and range of motion stuff that I can with that. But the bottom line is, is that the, the beauty of CrossFit, they give you a protocol and the exercise world of uh, program called Cindy five push-ups, 10, or five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats. Well, we can do the same thing, but, you know, my geezers can't do pull-ups, so they do ring rows, you know, and uh, maybe they can't do push-ups on the ground, but they can do push-ups at a 45-degree angle, right? And mm-hmm. and they can't do air squats, but they can sit down to a bench and, uh, you know, sit all the way down and stand all the way back up. So Cindy might be, you know, scaled, subjectively by the particular geezer that is doing the workout. And for me, I can do pull-ups, but I can't do push-ups. And I can do air squats, and, uh, you know, so I scale it accordingly. So it's a self, self-scaled self type of uh, geezer CrossFit program. Well, I heard one of the geezers prescribes birthday workouts, and you had quite a quite a birthday workout with, what was it, 300 pull-ups? Oh God. Yeah, that was, that was a challenge that was given to me by my mentor. And, uh, you know, on my birthday, when I turned 70, I think it's 72, not 73, but on my birthday, I had to do as many pull-ups as I could do in 60 minutes. And, um, so I thought, well, if I get 200, I'll be happy. But I had a strategy and I had a plan. And the plan was, is that Every 60 seconds, I would do three pull-ups. So I did that for 30, for 30, um, you know, for 30 minutes. And then I just started going. And I ended up doing 300 and, I think, 355 pull-ups in an hour. Oh, my gosh. And these are strict. Oh, yeah. Geezers can't do kipping pull-ups. <laughs> their shoulders are too wrecked. And, and I think a lot of it is just vanity. We... We grew up on strict pull-ups, so that's yeah. Every time I talk to some older generation, they say what they're doing is not pull-up. This is a pull-up, and then they show me, and I go, "Well, what do you? What happens if you can't do either?" (laughs) Well, you go get a band. You do something. That's right. That's right. You do something. So you've been coaching for over fifty years. How did you find the sport of Olympic weightlifting? Like you, did, you started weightlifting before it was cool. I started weightlifting before it was cool. We can arguably say it was always cool, but CrossFit kind of brought it the coolness factor up a little bit. But how did you find Olympic weightlifting fifty years ago? Well, that's an interesting story. But I, I, I grew up in a, a coal mining town and an agricultural town and southern illinois called marion illinois and um uh, my dad you know was vehemently against lifting weights because 
in his generation, weightlifting was about bodybuilding and it was about becoming stiff, you know, and muscle bound. And that was his fear. And so hard work was his, his uh, choice for me to get stronger. So I had to bale hay and shovel call, you know, cow shit and everything mm-hmm. else like that. And, uh, but when I went to Notre Dame to play football, Eric Parsegian wanted me to gain some weight. So he took me down to a gym uh, on campus that was self-funded by a Catholic priest by the name of Father Lang. And Father Lang was a Olympic weightlifting guy. And uh, he was a strength guy, but he really loved the, at that time, he loved the clean and press, the mm. snatch, and the clean and jerk. We had three Olympic lifts. And so... Uh, so basically, I went from a 165-pound defensive back to a 182-pound defensive back. It got stronger, got faster, and it was all through Olympic-style weightlifting. Wow. So, and that's the way it started. And then, you know, from then during the offseason, there were several of us. There was like 10 or 15 students at Notre Dame. I was the only football athlete, but... That and we formed a weightlifting team, and we used to travel around the Midwest, competing, you know, in the clean and press, the snatch, and the clean and jerk. So, so that's, there were that's three, basically what happened. I was just going to say, when there were three lifts, was the clean and press first, and then you snatched, and then you yes. clean and jerk? Oh, that's funny. Yes, yeah, the clean and press was first, we'd snatch, and then we'd clean and jerk. And it was amazing because we would. You know, in back in that day, you'd weigh in just like they do today. But I mean, I've had weigh in times at 12 o'clock and I didn't finish my weightlifting until midnight. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy because, you know, I mean, it, it, and if you set a, if you set an American record, they'd bring out another scale to re- weigh the barbell to make sure that it was the proper weight. Oh and then gosh. a lot of times they might even weigh you again to make sure you were in the weight class. You had to weigh so after you, you lifted. Yeah. Well, oh, if you no. set an American record or, you know, some kind of a record where they had to verify it. And, yeah. I mean, if, if it was a meat record or a state record, then that, that didn't count. But if it was a national record, then, you know, they'd weigh it, weigh the barbell and weigh you. And remember back then you couldn't drop the barbell. You had to bring it down. Once you were given the down signal, you had to bring it down to your shoulders and then your thighs. And then once the bar passed the knees, then you could drop it. Oh my goodness. And if you didn't, they would red light you. Wow. So when did they realize that the clean and press and the clean and jerk were a little redundant? It was 1972 is when they eliminated. It was that. 72 Olympics in Munich. Then right after that, then they went to the snatch and clean and jerk. Okay. And, and of course, you know, I mean, it was the best thing that ever happened to weightlifting. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't have the clean and press and the clean and jerk. And I mean, one of them had to go and, and the, the clean and press was really hard to judge. And it, instead of being a military press, it became an Olympic press and the Olympic presses, you could heave it up there as long as you didn't bend your knees, you know, you know, I so it became a, a very, very the technical. If they had kept the clean and press, <laughs> there you have it. That was <laughs> that was my only chance. I wasn't right. worth a shit in anything else, but I could clean and press. That's awesome. So, what were the lifting suits like? 
How has that evolved? <laughs> well, back then we wore suits that were, you know, cut. I don't know what you'd call them, but they were, you know, like your tidy whities type stuff. It wasn't like. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. No, you'd have the bottoms and you'd have a T-shirt. Yeah, that was acceptable. You could have a like a, a it looked like a speedo, but it was actually a uniform. You know, and I had a I had a singlet that was a one piece singlet, but it was it was right. You know, just like a pair of underwears, basically, is what it was. <laughs> you know, when when you I went as as you got as the women came involved in the sport, you know, they'd wear them. Hell, they were wearing the most scandalous, you know, outfits that there were, you know. And uh, uh, but anyway, today it's it's much different. You know, they wear more like wrestling singlets today right. than they do. You know. Yeah, I don't think there may be one or two athletes that still wear that, you know, that bathing suit type of singlet. But I don't see very many of them. I was horrified when I started lifting. I started in like '94. I want to say I was 13. And we were going to our first, my first meet, which was just a clean and jerk competition. And my coach, Michael Cohen, handed me the outfit. He's like, here. And this was the morning of. I had no idea what was about to happen. And he handed that to me. And it was the like bathing suit singlet. And I thought, I'm about to get on a stage wearing this. (laughs) And I did. And I did. And I thought, well, here we go, because this has been the worst day of my life. Ever. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, John Coffey, all of his athletes, I mean, they wore that Robin Goat. Yeah. You know, yeah, they all wore it and they looked pretty damn good, you know, so they were very fit. And uh, uh, of course, that, then it evolved, you know, people didn't like, you know, wearing that kind of thing. And uh, I will tell you, as a, as a coach and as a school teacher, I had access to all kinds of kids in my PE classes. And the best lifters were the Mexican kids and the Mexican boys would not compete in a singlet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd compete. They love competing, but they would never compete wearing a singlet. Now the Mexican girls, they didn't care, but the Mexican boys, I, I lost out on a lot of male athletes that were very, very good lifters because they wouldn't wear a singlet. And at the time, was that required? You couldn't have fabric on the legs? Yeah, you yeah. couldn't. You couldn't, uh, you know, it was it was all, you know, just the way it was. And, and you had to follow the rules. But, you know, today, singlet, I mean, they, I mean, there's still some kids that won't, you know, they feel very uncomfortable wearing it. But for the most part, once you get them to a meet and they see everybody's wearing it, they really don't care. Right, right. But, so fast forward to 2005. What happened? I was doing courses for USA weightlifting, you know, the club coaches courses. Mm-hmm. And that was the way that I paid for my weightlifting team. You know, we would do these courses for USA weightlifting and they would give us a, a portion of the profits for our club. And our club was team Southern California. And so that's how I paid for guys travel. Or if I had a student that didn't have shoes, I would, you know, buy him shoes and stuff. And so in uh, early 2005, uh, Greg Glassman came down. He brought several of his athletes that were CrossFitters uh, down to the gym, and they wanted to earn a certificate 
in Olympic weightlifting, but they more than that, they wanted the instruction. So they, he brought probably 25 athletes down and they were all the, the nasty girls, Eva T, Annie Sakamoto, you know, uh, Nicole Carroll, all of these athletes were at the beginning of CrossFit's, you know, takeoff came off, they came down and, uh, I certified them. And the next week he called me up and he said, Coach Glassman called me up and he said, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to go to Colorado and I'm going to do a seminar in Colorado. And, you know, I want you to come out to Colorado with me and I want you to do your three hour seminar. I'm going to give you three hours to cover the burden of warm up and the uh, skill transfer exercises. And uh, I said, great. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd love to do it. And and basically that's the way it started. But in in that seminar we had 50 uh first responders police officers firefighters marines navy seals army green Braves. we had all these people and um no one could do an overhead squat with pvc pipes not one person it was crazy and so that's basically how it started but what's interesting is that the guy that hosted the seminar charged these these athletes 50 or charged them $500 to take the course and there was 50 of them so the guy made $25,000 and he paid coach Glassman I think it was $8,000 and so at that point Glassman said wait a minute there's an opportunity here to you know to make some money and to get our to get the CrossFit word out on the block because people were really hungry for information and a, and a new way of, you know, fitness and weightlifting was good. Bodybuilding was good, but putting all of that together in a time component and a randomly varied component, it just took off like wildfire. And so he started hosting <coughs> seminars in St. in, um, up in his area, Santa Cruz once a month. And he asked me if I wanted to be part of it. So once a month he would bring me up and we, there would be a, I don't know, there might be a hundred, you know, 25 to 50 to 75 people taking this course and they all paid a thousand dollars to take the course. So the thing just took off and I'd go up there once a month and he'd pay me very, very well. But then after a year, he said, these three day seminars are too long. And we want to go to two day seminars. So we're going to, we're going to cut you subject matter experts from the original seminar, but you're going to do your own seminars, you know, with, uh, and you're going to organize them and we're going to take a portion of your profits, but we're really going to advertise these things for you. And that was in 2007, I believe Mm -hmm. at that point. And it just freaking took off. And so, you know, for gosh, 10 years, 2007, 2018 or so, I was pretty much the only show in town, you know, and we did it. I mean, USA Weightlifting thought I was crazy. You know, how can you do this, Burton? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose. You just, it's not worth it. Anybody that does 30 snatches for time is crazy, you know, and, uh, uh, and that's, and that was their take. And, and my, my reason for being involved in it is that I, I saw, that CrossFit was going to be a way that we could get more people involved in Olympic style weightlifting. Yep. 
And, you know, weightlifting didn't see it that way. They thought they were nuts. But lo and behold, look at what's happening. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, yeah. Now, people, people are snatching 170 kilos, for God's sake, you know, and, uh, and they're CrossFitters. Right. And you got, you know, and, and we've taken a lot of CrossFitters and made them strictly into weightlifting, you know, and, uh, and, and that's the way it's, that's the way it's taken off. It's just been amazing. It's all, it's all close coach Glassman. And, and, and I believe it's Phil Andrews as well. Mm-hmm. Phil Andrews is the CEO of, uh, of cross or of weightlifting and he sees the value of it. And, uh, and he sees that. God, when we were involved, how many members did we have in in USA Weightlifting? Three thousand, maybe. Right, right. And it took like thirty thousand, forty thousand. Well, I always joke that when I was lifting, the American Open had like two hundred lifters at some random Ramada Inn, and people right. would walk in and say, "What are those people doing?" And now, like American Open has what days, <laughs> days and days, and. And, and multiple platforms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to go up to you're going to go up to uh, to Salt Lake City in December. They'll have five platforms going, and the qualifying totals for the American Open. I don't think they ever matched what you had to qualify to go to the Nationals, but it's pretty doggone it close. Is dong- it is close. I looked last year because I started dabbling again and thought maybe I'll try and go. And yeah, I mean, it was. For the regular age groups, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, masters is, is obviously what I am now, if you can believe it. Of course you can. Um, but, yeah, and, and nationals is, I think, for, like, my weight class female, 80 kilo snatch, 100 kilo clean and jerk. I mean, poof. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and there again at the nationals, I was in Memphis last year and uh, when the nationals were going on, and they ran three platforms there. Mm-hmm. And it was a, I mean, it, and it is so organized and absolutely on time. It's, you know, CrossFit, the, the thing that CrossFit's brought to the table is organization. I mean, it's, you, there's a method to their madness. And when you go to the CrossFit games, honestly, there's no uh, lagging of time. Everything runs exactly like it's scheduled, yeah. you know, and, uh, and weightlifting's doing the same thing now. I don't, there may have been, uh, you know, two or three minute lag in uh, starting times from, uh, you know, in the nationals weight classes, but not very many of them. I'm telling you, it's just, it's just crazy. So where did you very come organized? Up, where did you come up with the Bergner warm up? What is this warm up, and how did you come up with it? And how old is this warm up? Oh God, this warm up is a million years old. I mean, I. I start, yeah, I started that warm up at Notre Dame, you know, when, uh, I mean, it, I did it. I did this warm up when I, when I was, you know, getting ready to lift weights as a weightlifter. I had this protocol that I followed when I lifted weights. And there were 10 exercises that I did with a PVC pipe or a light bar to get my shoulders loose and my hips loose and my ankles loose. And it was all the, it was the burden warm up and the skill transfer exercises. And so when CrossFit, when CrossFit came down and they came down to my course and I, I did the warm up. I didn't call it the burden warm up. We just did the warm up and I took everybody through it and they loved it. They thought, well, God, this thing is awesome. It's a, it's a great exercise. And, and, uh, 
what's the name of this exercise? <laughs> and, and I'm going, hell, I don't know. I never call it a name. And so Sage was there with me. And, uh, you know, she was only like six or seven at the time. And, and uh, she says, Daddy, why don't you call it the Bergner warm-up? So that's what we did. So in 2005, we named that warm-up, whatever that warm-up was, we named it the Bergner warm-up, and it just took off because, in my mind, the Bergner warm-up is the most important part of Olympic-style weightlifting when you're trying to teach somebody how to properly lift weights. You know, So I used it in my teaching at high school. I mean, I came, I got into teaching in 1975, and I was a strength coach at four or five different high schools, and we always did that warm-up as part of my PE classes. Mm-hmm. Well, I and had I had to, some oh, go pretty ahead. good lifters. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, so that's that's how it got started. Well, I had the privilege of watching you teach a course at the CrossFit Games this year. And it was really awesome to have my daughter there. She's 10 and she's she's starting CrossFit. She's about a year and a half in and loves to lift weights. Um, my husband and I said, we are not going to have a weightlifter. We are not going to let our kids lift weights. And then we took her in the gym um, a couple years ago and gave her a PVC pipe, showed her how to snatch, and I, and she did her first one. I said, yeah, we're hosed. <laughs> She's a lifter. Yeah. Um, but oh, it yeah. was great to watch you teach people to lift. You You have an ability to teach in a way that I've never quite seen. It's so simplified. Um and it really comes down to that vertical jump. So is there yeah. any way to describe someone for someone who might be interested in Olympic weightlifting, but scared to kind of start on their own? Like what gets the bar moving? Cause I think that's a well, really that, fantastic description you have. Yeah. I think, I think what it is, 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 you know, as a school teacher, you know, when I first started doing all this stuff, I mean, I was young, dumb and stupid. Right. And, and so when I would go into my PE classes and I would start talking about ankle, knee and hip extension, uh, I, my students looked at me like I was freaking crazy, mm-hmm. right? Because they had no idea what ankle, knee and hip extension was really all about. But I did have one young lady. She was 15 years old and she was a physics person. She loved physics. And so she took my class to understand what force times distance over time was all about. And that's the definition of power. And she, she came to my class because of that. And so she grabbed me at, at the end of the class and she, I think I explained this to, you know, to the class, but she grabbed me at the class and she says, coach, you know, you're, you're talking about ankle, knee and hip extension and the kids don't understand what you're talking about. Why don't you just call it jump? <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, sounds pretty genius to me and then you know you have to go into the aspect that when kids think about jumping they're thinking about stuffing a basketball or jumping as high as they can and you have to teach that the jump is nothing more than a loading phase of a barbell that you try to create acceleration through the middle with that barbell and you're trying to create acceleration as well as elevation on it and you do that by jumping you don't do that by pulling on the barbell and all of a sudden, you know, my kids just, they got it. It's like, holy shit, this is simple. Right. And so this young lady is the one that taught me how to teach in a simplified version. And, and if I wasn't a high school 
physical education teacher and a public school teacher, I probably would have, you know, I probably would have continued to talk in a, in a too advanced manner. But my kids basically taught me how to teach. And, you know, and it's just that's the way it's, it's very simple. It's nothing more than a jump in a land. And, and you've got to understand you've got to create acceleration on the barbell, not by pulling the barbell up, but by jumping the barbell up. And then you pull yourself down and around the barbell, you know, and it's so terms like catching or dropping are not good terms for me. You know, they're because it, it, it gives a vision of, you know, slowness and unaggressiveness and weightless weightlifting is anything but slow. And you have to be very aggressive in order to be successful at it. You know, so. And also it kind of is scary to think about dropping under a barbell. Exactly. Like, oh, no, if you pull yourself under it, it gives you the false sense of control. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, there comes that time where you, you, you know, you get that barbell and you drive up as hard and fast as you can. And then all of a sudden you're blank. You don't know what the hell just happened, but you're right. underneath the barbell, right. you know, and it's, it, so, you know, we don't, we don't talk about that, but we talk about being active all the way through the pattern and, you know, pulling on it, you know, and, and we teach that, you know, when your feet are off the ground, you can't pull a barbell up. So we use the old adage with, uh, glassman's core to extremity you know your core does all the hard work creates acceleration on the barbell but when your feet are sliding out to receive the barbell you're now pulling on it hard and that speeds you up underneath the bar mm -hmm. and then you have to a activate that punch underneath the bar to be very aggressive with it but i mean it's very simple i mean if i if i brought anybody that's never lifted weights in here to my gym and i asked them to describe what they just saw 90% of the population will say, well, he just pulled the barbell up and just, you know, kind of fell underneath it. And that's not the proper definition. And so when I, when I give my definition, it's a snatch is nothing more than jumping that barbell through a range of motion, creating acceleration and elevation on the barbell. And then when you're ready at the very end of that top pull, you're pulling yourself down underneath that barbell, then punching your body into an overhead squat. And I said, that's the definition of a snatch. Hmm. So it kind of put that, put that vision together. And that's what I'm really trying to teach and coach. And so my method of, of making it simple for everybody is to understand that the, the fundamentals of teaching and coaching athletes, regardless of the level, is nothing more than their stance, their grip, and the various positions that the path, the bar path has to go through while you're making a lift. So we teach stance, grip, and then we teach positions and we get strong in the positions before we actually even do a snatch or a clean jerk. Yeah. Well, you have children who are lifters. How do you balance the <laughs> idea of, well, how do you balance parenting and coaching your children? No, that's, <laughs> but you know what? It, it's, it takes teamwork. Right? I mean, in, in my house, my gym is in my garage <clears throat> and my kids chose to lift weights. And the only rule they had that is they had to have some kind of an activity after school. They had to have an after school activity. So if they were going to do sports, baseball, basketball, football, volleyball, it didn't matter what it is. They had to lift weights to keep their body strong and hopefully prevent injury. 
That's what it was. And two of them, uh, Casey and, and Sage, chose weightlifting as their after-school sport. But Bo and Cody, Cody chose baseball and Bo chose volleyball. And they, they had to do another sport. They did water polo. And they lifted weights to get strong. And they lifted in weightlifting contests and stuff like that. But their, their sport of choice was not weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So the teamwork comes in when, you know, the kids came home and, you know, kids from our team, from my school, came out to the house, came out to the gym. And, you know, I coached my kids just like I coached everybody else. Uh, I didn't give them any, any slack. I was probably harder on them. And they would piss and moan about it. And then they would go in and talk to their mother. And uh, Leslie just said, no, your dad's in charge of the gym. You're going to do what he says in the gym. Yeah, but he's too hard on me. Too bad. Get used to it. You know, and that's what. But then at night, before we'd go to bed, we never talked, never talked in front of the kids. But then at night, before we go to bed, she'd probably chew my ass out for not <laughs> for being too hard on me. But, I mean, it was a teamwork situation where the, the two of us, we had our roles. Her role was in the house. She's the boss of the house, and I'm the boss of the gym. That's funny. What yeah. life lessons has weightlifting taught you, either as an athlete or as a coach or both? Oh boy. I mean, discipline, camaraderie, you know, teamwork, uh, all, all of those things you have to, you know, the dedication and the hard work and the painstaking hours that go through building a, a, a an athlete or, or as an athlete or even a coach. I mean, it, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication in order to put a, a to put an athlete on the, national team or the world world stage and uh it just takes you know the life lesson for me is is that you pay attention to detail you know there's no small detail that shouldn't you know they should all be covered and then you do it and put it together in a simple fashion and you develop uh, a quality person and a quality athlete you know and uh, and i think that can be with any sport or any phase of life <clears throat> it takes a lot of hard work to, you know, to build that lifestyle that you need, you know, to be successful. Yeah. So what do you think about when people sort of say that they're too old or, or too whatever, fill in the blank, to try something new, to start a new sport? What are some of the tips you have for getting started in weightlifting at any age, at any phase in life? Well, the big thing for us is the, you know, is having them come out here <clears throat> at my gym and see that there's, I mean, I have an 85-year-old that comes here. And to see these guys and these and these mambas, see them work out, and to see that there's, they're, you know, if these guys, they're moving, their quality of life is better the questions that they ask me are very, you know, very good questions about nutrition. And I don't, I don't sit up there and lecture them on, on nutrition or, or what exercises they do. I, you know, most of them that come up here are, are not beginners. They're, they've been lifting weights. They've been some kind of fitness program, but you know, 90% of them can do push-ups and they can do 
you know, uh, lat pull downs or they can do dumbbell curls or whatever. And, you know, I'll teach them proper technique with all the different exercises that, that they can do. But then we just put it together in a very unthreatening atmosphere. I think that's the biggest problem we get as people come out here, they're afraid to come out here because they don't want to look like they're, they're a fool. Right. But once they get out here and they see that, Oh geez, burden is not the asshole. Everybody says he is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's pretty caring and golly, this is, this is pretty good. So today we're doing five, 10 and 15 and we're going to do as many rounds as we can in 20 minutes. Well, I can do that. And then I just encourage them to count how many rounds they're doing. And then the next time, try to beat those rounds. You know, so Cindy is a, is a workout protocol, but it's, it's certain 5, 10, 15, 5 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats. But my Cindy for the geezers is any three exercises that you can do. Mm-hmm. and do it as well as you can and put it all together for as many rounds as you can get in 20 minutes and that the challenge is on them and so the camaraderie of the geezers and the mambas is very very strong and i think that's why the the geezers and the mambas want to come up here they the the togetherness the camaraderie which i believe crossfit brought to the table is what people do now and they feel very unthreatened by it. They feel very good about it. And if a guy wants to come up here and he doesn't want to do shit, that's okay. <laughs> you know, he, can, he can go on the bike and ride the bike for an hour if he wants at a very slow pace. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I just want them to be moving and doing stuff. You know, and we've, we've had a guy that came up here and he was 330 pounds and now he's down to 250. Wow. You know? So, and it wasn't that we, you know, that we forced him to do anything, but he comes up and every one of us here lead by example, and we work hard and we work as hard as we can work for where we're at in our fitness journey. And, uh, that's leading by example. And so this guy wants to do what we're doing. So, so the camaraderie is everything, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So in your experience, what makes people not change when they desperately want to change? What keeps people stuck? Oh, I, I just don't think they give it a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, you, you go in, I mean, you, you, you got to take a look at, you know, you know, people's lifestyle and what they're doing. If, if they're, if they're used to going and having a cupboard full of snacks and chips and all the junk food and they're used to eating that then that's then that's their comfort place and you know and and if they're weighing you know 350 pounds and they have severe diabetes there's got to be something in there that's going to want them to get well and get healthy and it could be a spouse it could be that they're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and and I've always said that everything works in, in my world, everything works in threes. If I want to go on a good, clean diet, you know, then it's going to take me three days of eating healthy and recording what I eat and how I feel. It's going to take me three days to get to a point where I no longer crave that, you know, that junk food. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, three, three days is going to be tough, but I can do anything for three days. And then after the three days, once I quit wanting that junk food, I no longer have the desire that I've got to have it. I don't longer have that addiction of bad food. Then it's going to take me three weeks to really notice, man, I'm really feeling pretty damn good here. So now I've gone from three days of, okay, I'm not, I'm not eating junk food. I, uh, yeah, I crave it, but I, I give three days. And after the third day, it's like, whoa, this is pretty easy. So I'm just not going to, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to eat bad food. I'm not going to drink soda pop. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to do whatever, whatever it is. And I'm not going to do that's going to bring me a healthier lifestyle. Then I've got three weeks and I'm going to start learning what's the best way for coach B or Meredith to eat the right foods in order for them to get and achieve the goals that they want to achieve. And, and the biggest problem is understanding that the lifestyle has got to be sustainable. It can't be, okay, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat anything bad for the rest of my life. Well, we know that's not going to happen. So you gotta, you gotta train yourself to be sustainable. So the next three weeks, are going to be in that period that I've got to find something that's going to be sustainable. And, uh, and then the, the, the three months after I've started, all of a sudden I look in the mirror and I'm going, Whoa, man, I'm wearing two pant sizes smaller. And now Meredith is coming up to coach B and saying, God, coach B, you look like a stud. (laughs) And guess what? I mean, that just fuels my, my want to do better, you know, and, uh, I don't know. And then my lifestyle becomes sustainable. And then, you know, after about six months, I'm understanding, well, you know what? I'm going to have a, you know, today's going to be a pizza day. I'm going to go down and eat a pizza mm-hmm. and I can do that because then I feel shitty about it. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to get <laughs> right back on my sustainable lifestyle. That's right. So it just takes, it just takes that discipline. There's no, there's no magic to it basically you just got to have the willpower to give me three days give me three days and if i can if i can give you three days then the addiction is going to not going to be there for me i don't okay i don't need to eat these potato chips Uh, i don't need to drink this beer i don't need to whatever it is i got three days now now give me three weeks and let's start finding those foods that are going to work for you, you know, in an in a organized pattern. So I like that. that. I like three days. That sounds good. Well, it gets <laughs> three days, three weeks, three months, and then you're, you're on your journey. And it's yeah. like you're, you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking, oh, shit, I look pretty damn good, you know. And, and then, you know, you start, we hold ourselves accountable too. I mean, there's, I mean, 73, I go out in the garage and I, I take pictures of, uh, you know, of myself in my workout shorts. And I, I look at that and I hold myself accountable. I'm, man, I'm looking sloppy around the waist. I need to get some of that geezer skin working to get tighter, you know. <laughs> so I, I will, I'll clean up my act a little bit, you know. So I hold myself accountable by, you know, taking pictures and, you know, and I – I don't, God forbid, I don't show anybody those pictures. They'd scare them to death. But, you know, at least in, in my world, it, it lets me hold myself accountable to make sure I'm doing things the right way. Yeah. So the most important question is what's in that fanny pack? 
that you're always wearing. <laughs> Ooh, it's a secret. I'd tell. have to kill you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of believe yeah. that. I, you know how that fanny pack is a million years old, too? The same one. It's not the same one. Yeah. You, have, you have a bunch of no, colors. I, no, no, I don't do that. I I stick to, I like L.L. Bean's fanny packs, and so I've got two of them, but I only wear the one. So, <laughs> And I wear the one because it's got, it's blue and orange, and orange is my favorite color. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, Coach B, this was fun. I, I just appreciate you, and um, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, which means that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So my final question for you is what is something that you do on a daily basis that you can kind of point to that contributes to you know getting your day started well or or just helping you live your best life? Is there like one thing that you do on a daily basis? No, I, I would say I'm very routine oriented. You know, my, 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 my day actually begins with the way I finish uh, the previous day. And, you know, for me, I get in the sauna every night and I jump in a cold pool after the sauna and take a cold shower and get the best night's sleep that I can get. Uh, and then at, uh, zero five I, I get up and, uh, I get my routine even started further with, uh, you know, kind of a semi meditation of, of just thinking about what I'm doing for the day and what I've got to get accomplished. And, you know, I have my cup of coffee and, you know, if it's a non-workout day, like today's a non-workout day for me, um, I'll go in and take a jacuzzi and then jump in the cold pool. And then, you know, after this podcast is over with, I'm going to go down to the beach and walk three miles and, and, uh, have a nice cup of coffee at a coffee shop and, and then just uh, try to answer my emails and things that I got to do. Then after that, I come home and spend time with my beautiful wife and my grandkids and, you know, try to try to have a very positive day and, and try to pay it forward to other people. I mean, I, I make myself available to phone calls and people want help with the snatch and clean and jerk. So they'll send me videos and, and I'll coach them, coach them afar and tell them what I think. And, you know, and that's where I like to spend my day is try to pay my passion forward to help other people hopefully have the same passion that I have. Well, thank you so much, coach. Well, I appreciate you having me on there, Meredith. Thank you.